1: morning we are uh, continuing in a sermon series that we've been in for the past several weeks in the book of Genesis. Uh, We've called this series Origins because in the book of Genesis, these first 11 chapters, so many of the foundational Christian beliefs about the world are explained. How we got here, who we are as being made in God's image, how we're made to relate to one another as men and women, how we're given a calling and a purpose in the world and how we're to follow it. We've seen some of these big uh, ideas out of our origins uh, in these first 11 chapters. This morning, we have a great gift. Let me invite John Sinema to come on up. Uh, Some of you will know John. Um, Others of you uh, have not met John, and you are in for a treat. Uh, John, um, you know, humanly speaking, is as responsible as anyone uh, for the fact that Haley and I moved to Jacksonville to plant this church. Uh, John was the pastor at Christchurch Mandarin, the church uh, that helped to plant both Christchurch East on the east side of town and now us at InTown, uh, and now our most recent church plant uh, at Christchurch Beaches. And a lot of that uh, had its genesis in plans and dreams that John and the elders of Christchurch Mandarin hatched uh, all those years ago. We got caught up in their little scheme and uh, moved here from Orlando to, uh, to work with John to begin working on planting uh, what became Christchurch InTown. So John and his wife, Carol, now live in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he works for an awesome, uh, wonderful missions organization called Mission Hope, uh, that we have supported some of their work around the world. And so guys, uh, it's with great joy that we welcome John uh, to be with us. So I believe we have a scripture reader who's going to read our scripture, and then John will preach and I will sit.
0: Our reading today is Genesis 3, verses 14 through 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love.
2: Have a seat, please. I'm so glad, uh, Dave, that you had an opportunity to welcome so many new members. That allowed Carol and me an opportunity to get control of our tears. We've been sitting back there weeping at the magnificence and the beauty of worship that comes as it came to us this morning from many races and peoples and languages and sounds. And that's not only something we're going to be doing for eternity. That's something we are supposed to have started now already. And to taste it here today just overflows our heart with joy. We are so grateful to be with you. And so proud of what God has done here under your leadership, Dave and Haley. It's a great treat. So what do we have here? If, if, If you read... This story, like a lot of American people read the story, you've got a God whose original purposes got screwed up by a couple of rebels, who gets mad, cusses them out, and kicks them out of the garden, and says, you can't come back. and the myth begins to take root in human hearts that the God of the Bible is angry and is out for revenge. People don't always say it that way, but that's kind of what they believe down here. When they act out and live in sin and become afraid of God and afraid of His justice, And unwilling to believe that there's really any hope if you ever ever had those thoughts even if you don't believe that notion if you've ever wrestled with that in your heart of hearts I got some good news for you today this is not a passage just about curses after a chapter about blessings This is not just a passage about consequences after a beautiful description of calling. This is a chapter about the gospel. The whole thing from beginning to end is about the gospel, about, and that's what that word means, good news, not bad news. Let me show it to you this way. First of all, I want you to to understand the God of the gospel you notice here he, he, he starts after the disaster this is the story after right we had the magnificent description of God's creation he was so excited about it he said it's so, it's so good it's very good and he blessed them and he, he, he said to them flourish bear fruit May your lives just be like like a seed that bursts through the earth and 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 reaches its shoots and begins to flourish for the glory of God. I love that song. you deserve it right that 's why he made us and then chapter three, the sin, the rebellion, the defiant declaration. I will be autonomous. I will live life my way, not yours. Right? So you expect this is going to be bad news, but you notice the first thing God does? God goes to war against Satan. Listen to this. The Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, Not only are you going to crawl on your belly the rest of your days. Listen, listen. I will put enmity, warfare. Not Notice it does not say there will be warfare. He says, I will go to war against you. Now how does God go to war against the evil one? Well, there's some interesting things in this passage. Between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. What does that mean? Does that mean little snakes and little people? No. That, and, and it doesn't mean bad people and good people because we're all wretched. I mean, every one of us. We just, we just confessed our sins. My word. We have to do that because that, that marks who we are as a broken people. We offend God, we, dif- we, we, we slip back into autonomy and we shake our fists and insist on doing life our way. We all do that. No, this, this is God going to war through all the years of human history as human history exposes and unfolds that people we think are good are really rotten. Have you ever read the story of Abraham? The father of believers who wanted to trade his wife to Pharaoh for some freedom? I mean father of believers? David? The man after God's own heart who takes a woman because he had the power to do so? Peter? The apostle of Jesus Christ who denies him? Three times, Paul, who persecutes the church, these are the good guys. No, it's not bad people in the world. When you, when you buy into that myth, there's bad people and then there's me, what ends up happening is you either get very prideful or you become very much a, a victim, and you live your life as a victim, waiting for the bad people to screw you up again. Better to be honest and recognize that we are all wretched and that in this world there are forces at work. There are evil forces at work. Ephesians says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's it's against the powers behind the scenes, behind the curtain. And there is this evil force behind the scenes and behind the curtain who is always seeking to rob people of their hope, of their purpose, of their joy. And God says, I go to war against Him. Sometimes that war is going to be fought within a family, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. Sometimes that war runs between nations. Sometimes that war is in small communities. We work in some communities in Indonesia where can you imagine this a father of a family of say eight or ten so poor that he sells one daughter in order to feed the rest of the family wait a minute not done and has no guilt or shame about it because in that culture that's perfectly acceptable who's the bad guy there (laughs) <laughs> that, that's a tree with deep roots in a, in, in a belief system that doesn't honor the dignity of every creature that's, that's bad on every level that's, that's so broken you don't even know where to start except, except to cherish the beauty of a child God, that, that's the first thing I want you to hear about this God goes to war against the evil one for us and for you i you know I come here every once in a while, once a year, maybe once every couple of years i don't know all of you that that well. I know some of you pretty well. I remember days when Matt had more hair on the top of his head and less on his chin and 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 elena and you know that that, that those are cherished friends, but I do know you all have a story, and your stories rub up against evil and you have done evil. I I want you to know God is at war against the forces of evil that seek to destroy you. That's good to know. He's not against you, he's for you. Second thing I want you to know is that God always operates to show justice but his justice is tempered with grace an interesting section here, he talks to the woman, he doesn't curse the woman and he doesn't curse the man, the only time he uses the word curse is when he's cursing the serpent and the ground he doesn't curse his image bearers, but he does say there are going to be just consequences to your defiance There, there are consequences to our sins, you know that You make certain choices, there are going to be consequences that happen, natural consequences. This is is a woman who is called to not only bear children, but nurture them. And this is the point at which bearing children and nurturing them began to hurt, not only physically, but hearts. Some of you are raising children, and they sometimes break your heart. Some of you bear children and the the birth process is so terribly painful you can't even imagine what's going to happen down the road. But, you know, Carol and I are are old and gray and our kids continue to bless us and continue to break our hearts. Adam was called to do work. He was supposed to take what God made and find ways to cultivate it, develop it, maybe cross-pollinate plants, maybe work with the animals, but he was supposed to take the world. The, the, the Hebrew word for cultivate is to, to cause, to flourish. So at the end of the day, what Adam was supposed to do was to, was to take and make it bloom. And God says, now it's going to be so hard because the earth is going to fight back against you. You're going to work with people, they're not going to trust you. You're going to try to lead, they're going to disobey. You're going to work with your hands, And it's not going to work so well. That's what happens. There's consequences. But I love that in the middle of the consequences, God does not cancel the notion of a marriage. He just says, no, there's going to be consequences for your marriage. The the woman is going to have a desire to usurp her husband. And the husband is going to have a desire to put his thumb on the control instead of allowing his wife to flourish and bloom and grow. There's going to be gender tensions between husband and wife. There's going to be generational tensions between parents and children. That's all the natural consequences of when you, when you shake your fist in autonomy in the presence of God and say, I want to do this my way. But God doesn't cancel marriage. He doesn't quit giving us children. In fact, He walks with us through those difficulties. He doesn't cancel Adam's responsibility or yours to work with dignity because work is worthy. It's it's God's assignment to us. He just acknowledges that work, work is not going to sometimes not be happy. It's going to be toilsome. You ever have that at the end of the day when you come home and, and work? That whole day was just great. Everything everything went well. You got along well with the people. You you got a new contract or you accomplished a great deal. Sometimes the ministry is like that. You have a great day. You come home at the end of the day. And my wife says to me, how did it go? And you say, well, i, I got to tell you about what God's doing in so-and-so's life. And it's, it's so exciting to see. And then there are those days when... Nothing works. People you thought were growing in the Lord just shake the defiant fist against God and run in a different direction and it breaks their hearts. That happens. That's that's when work becomes toil, when the joy of, of cultivating is broken and your heart bleeds. But God doesn't give up on them. In fact, God, God says, I'm gonna bless you in that. And then as this little little sign and this little token of his love in their shame and nakedness, God makes garments for them, wraps them, protects them, heals them, and gives them hope. It's almost like God saying, Yeah, there's consequences for your behavior. But I love you still. When my kids were little, for a while I was, you know, I bought into the notion that parents ought to be tough on their kids. And and then somebody a lot wiser than me said that the most important time of any scolding is 10 minutes later when you go back into the bedroom and sit with the child that's been scolded or spanked. And you talk to them about why. And you talk to them about the gospel. I thought, wow. I did all the scolding and spanking. I never went back into the bedroom later on and circled back and fixed that. And I started doing that. And it was always amazing to me to watch that little boy or that little girl who went into the bedroom, scolded and had tears in his or her eyes And then I would come back into the room a few minutes later and we would talk about forgiveness and we would talk about hope and we would talk about grace. And I would give them a big hug and and that got replaced with wiping the tears at a big hug. God does that here. God does that here. But you say, wait a minute, he he doesn't do that here. He kicks him out. I want to spend just a minute on that here. God says, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, then God banishes him from the garden and places two cherubim angels with flaming swords to guard the way. Now, what what, what is this? What is this? Is this God saying, I'm worried they might make an end run around me and, and take the magic fruit? Because it almost sounds like that, doesn't it? Uh, Until you recognize that what we're dealing with here is kind of a picture of of a temple. The garden was like the temple of God. And God lived in the temple. And God was in the middle of the garden. And that tree of life was like God sitting under the shade tree on his throne. And he's he's not worried about a piece of fruit. He's worried about how will my people come back to me after this? I don't want my people to believe that they can find their way back to me without dealing with this issue of their rebellion and their autonomy and their sin. I don't want my people not to know the truth. They've got to know the truth. So they're expelled from the garden and the angels are placed there. And for a lot of us, we read that, and we never think another thought about that. But if if I may, you remember who's reading this for the first time, this part of the Bible? The first people who are reading this are the children of Israel, and they're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai. They just came out of Egypt, right? They'd been in Egypt 430 years or so, long time. And they were just getting introduced to their God. He had just done some significant miracles in the plagues. The plagues of Egypt that revealed that Egypt's gods were frauds and only Israel's God was... Now they come to the base of... Only he acted in defense of his people. So now they come to the base of Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain, and I I don't know when in the story this is, but he comes down with this this story, this Torah, these early books of the Bible, and he begins to teach it to the people of God, and they're listening to this, and they say, "Oh," Because you see, somewhere down the road, maybe not on Macduff, but down on one of the crossroads, there are a couple of guys named Bezalel and Aholiab who are building a tabernacle under the demands of God. They're constructing this portable house of worship because God wants His people to know I'm going to go with you through life. I'll be there. But in this temple, in this tabernacle first and later in the temple, God had the holy of holies, this this perfect cube with the Ark of the Covenant in it, and it was completely surrounded by gold, and it had cherubim woven in, and then in front of that it had a curtain. This was a massive thing. The the one of the temple was like 24 feet high. It was thicker than, the the, the fabric was thicker than the thickness of a man's hand. Heavy, strong, and right in in the curtain was woven cherubim with their wings outstretched. And the significance was very clear. Nobody passes these guys. You don't come into the holy place while the angels of God are defending against it. Your sin has not yet been dealt with. Even the high priest, when he came in, had to be sprinkling blood for his own sins. Because God's truth was still embodied in the cherubim until the issue of your rebellion and autonomy is settled. You cannot pass here. You and I have to know that. We have to know. We, we sometimes pretend otherwise. We sometimes go through life and we pretend that we can just forget about our sins. We want to be reconciled with people whom we've hurt, and we would love it if they would just forget about our sins. Can't you just forget about it? Just let it pass. No, 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 no. There's consequences to sin, and and, and that doesn't get resolved unless the issue of the sin is dealt with. Do you know where the sin was dealt with? Do you remember the story of that Friday? We're about to celebrate it. We call it Good Friday. They called it back then Passover. When Jesus hung on that cross and He heard the wrath of God that our sin deserved, He cried out to His Father, My God, why have you forsaken me? But He knew. He knew. He wasn't just dying for you and me. He was dying as you and me. Huh? And do you remember how that that Good Friday story unfolds? He takes his last breath. He cries out, it is finished. And across Jerusalem, in the great temple... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom because the angels were dismissed so that you and I could come home again. You see that? The angels were dismissed. You do not have to keep my people from me and from my holiness any longer. They may come home through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we mean in these little simple things we do as, as believers. We, we, we end a prayer and we say, in Jesus' name, right? For Jesus' sake. What, what, what do we say? Is it just words that, that somebody taught us to pray at the end of a prayer? Or are we really saying, Father, I can come to you because of what Jesus did in my place. I can come to you because I died with him. And the angels have been dismissed. And the offense is removed. And there's no barrier left. I come because of Jesus. Can you say that? Do you know him? Do you know that about him, that he fights for you first, that he does justice, but he does it with grace, because that's where the gospel is found. I I want to take you back to the early part of the, the, the reading this morning, when he said to Satan, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he said, he, he, not they, not the offspring, plural, but he will bruise your head. Satan's going to step on the serpent's head. The serpent's going to strike him on the heel. That happened at the cross. But you know, there's one more part to this story that I would be unfaithful if I didn't tell you about. The war continues. God still is fighting war against the evil one. He's definitively won the war. But the devil dies hard. He's like a he's like a thrashing dragon who is who is thrashing his tail about even as he is in the in the the death throes. The cross killed him. But he's thrashing about and he can he can he can wreak horrible trouble in our lives. He can still seduce us with the notion that autonomy is more free than life in Christ. He's wrong but he can still seduce us once in a while and we're still we're still prey to that seduction, right? But Paul the Apostle who had to acknowledge his own sin and come to realize that Jesus had died not only for him but as him Paul, the the, the apostle trained in the temple who grew up looking at that curtain, thinking about the holy otherness of God, never thinking that there was any possibility of oneness with that God. Paul, the apostle who certainly heard of the torn curtain and put it all together, that Paul writes to the church in Rome And in Jacksonville, in the last chapter of Romans, and he writes to that church, and he says to that church, beautiful words, hopeful words, and I'll find them as soon as I can read this. There it is. You were right about the lights, Dave. You don't have 70-year-old eyes, but... He he says to the church in chapter sixteen, verse seventeen, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to what you've been taught. Avoid them. Such persons don't serve our Lord Christ. And then he encourages them to live obediently. He says in verse 19, Your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Because your lifestyle and your reputation advances the name of Jesus in the world. But then he throws this kicker in and if you meditate on it, it'll knock your socks off. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The defeat of the evil one defined in the cross continues to be carried out by the people of God who live in desperate faith and deep hope. That's what Carol and I pray for, for you. We're thrilled by what we see here when we worship with you. We know keeping a church healthy in this generation with all the pressures of American culture, money as the only metric that seems to matter, racial divides that are deeply bred into the soul of all of us, Judging people based on superficial divisions. Like Paul writes, don't, don't watch out for those that cause divisions. It's hard to continue to unite. It's hard to stand up here and take membership vows in which you're fundamentally saying, I align with this God and this gospel and this church for this God's purposes. But when you align together, Peter said it, nobody can defeat you. And Paul said it, you will crush Satan. God will crush Satan under your feet. That's our prayer for you. That's our hope for you. And I pray that you will cling to it. Can I pray?